is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. And uh, we are quite fortunate that uh, we have our Arab Talk co-host, Jamal Dejani, with us live from trips and travails all over the world. It's like, where in the world is Jamal Dejani? Jamal, welcome to your own show, man. Thank you. And uh, just a quick message to our, uh, we're broadcasting across the continents. I am in Greece, currently in Greece, and Jess is in the, uh, in the studio in San Francisco. So we, this is an experiment for us. I'm talking to our Facebook followers, uh, where we're trying to talk to each other. And it seems like it's working out really well. You're coming in really loud and clear. And for our listeners, you know, check us out on Facebook Live at Jamal Dejani 2. You can also listen to us live if you're in the Bay at 89.5 FM, or you can live stream us at kpoo.com. Jamal, we're delighted to have you uh, with us, obviously, and uh, there's a lot of news to cover right now. But I think um, before we get to domestic politics, there's a rather dramatic uh, development in the apartheid state, uh, the Israeli apartheid state. Yesterday, the Knesset actually passed a law saying that only Jews in living in, you know, 1948 were entitled to self-determination. It would be like the United States saying only Caucasian or white people in the United States had constitutional protections. This seems to be a codification of apartheid. And I wondered if, I know you've been reading the uh, Israeli press and the Arab press and things like that, but this is really significant news. That's right, uh, Just uh, and actually I'm here in Greece, and this week we were supposed to talk about, and maybe we'll have some time to talk about, the uh, refugee crisis in Europe, right. and especially in Greece, as it is a kind of a stepping stone or a, or a passing through country for all refugees coming from Syria, from Africa, into into Europe. But, uh, of course, this major news story broke, and so we need to talk about it. And just for our listeners, uh, and this is big news, of course, all over the world. Uh, it's big news in, in, uh, in Europe, and I assume it's, it's bigger news in Europe than it is in the United States because I've noticed many of the so-called democracy advocates on in in the media ignoring this story so uh, just to clarify a little bit you know to our listeners both on KPO and 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 Facebook live Israel's parliament or the Knesset approved the, what they call it, which I heard, this is what the media refer to it, is the controversial nationality bill on Thursday, which is really the, the, approved, the approved apartheid in the country. But this is how the media is, play, is saying it, the controversial. This is not a controversial. This is, this is worse than controversial. This is the reincarnation re, re of apartheid after the death of apartheid in South Africa. It has been, ladies and gentlemen, re, reincarnated in Israel. So they approved apartheid basically in Israel. Uh, you know, for and basically they said Israel is a nation state for the Jewish people. And they have even 
downgraded the status of Arabic from official language to a special status. Let me make, let me make that a little bit clear. Number one, Arabic has been spoken in Palestine or historic Palestine and the whole greater Syria region since the, the kind of the transition from Aramaic into, into Arabic, you know, which basically with the coming of the Arabs in the 6th and 7th century into the whole area. So roughly Arabic has been the language or the lingua franca for that entire region, including Palestine, for more than uh, 1400, 1500 years, right? So now it's no longer official. And, and then another thing, Jess, Israel has recognized Arabic as, as one of its official languages. If we were, we're going to talk about the establishment of the state of Israel in 1948, they have recognized Arabic now technically for 70 years, for seven decades. Uh, they have recognized Arabic as one of its uh, as as an official language. So now they've downgraded it. So it's no longer a language, and 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 we have to break it down here a little bit because when we talk about historic Palestine, we talk about the land which uh, Israel up to 1967 borders, and that has uh, 21 to 25 percent of its population are non-Jews, and I'm talking about Arabs and other ethnicities, so a quarter of the population in that area. Well, at least, at least. At, well, you know, one point, uh, technically there is about roughly between 1.7, 1.8 million Palestinians living there, right? right? And, and so, so 21 to about 24 percent of the population, this is the official uh, number, uh, are basically native Arab, Arabic speakers. So they have been totally marginalized. Now, there are, then we go move on to the West Bank. And the West Bank, you have 2.8 million Palestinians, basically, with, along with 700,000 colonial settlers. Right. So and that area, most of that area, they, they have broken it down to area A, B and C and E1 and so forth. But the area around Jerusalem and so forth, they have 700,000 settlers, but the whole West Bank area, 2.8 million. So again, it's under the control of Israel. And, and uh, again, that's out of the equation and not to mention Gaza. Uh, 1.8 million people, which is basically a large open-air prison like everyone knows, right? So the, so, so the land between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River, which Israel technically controls by air, by land, right, by sea, it's in full control. Now, if you add these numbers together, Jess, There'll be more than 50% of the population. Yeah, it's a startling number when you get to it. When you add all this number, it is the majority. It is not the minority. So it's more than 50%. And so basically, uh, the new law affirms basically that 
you know, if you're not Jewish, you are a second or third class citizen. And also the new law affirms the state, for example, sees the development of Jewish settlements as national value and will act to encourage and promote its establishment and consolidation. So the law not only it discriminates against non-Jews, but also gives the carte blanche for the settlers to take over the whole territory. Exactly. Under the protection of the state with the full blessing of the state. So it's a very, very damaging law and you know, and these apartheid conditions existed, you know, for, for many years, right? But now Israel basically has thumped its nose at the international community and adopted it into a law. Let's, let's even break it down at a very basic level, Jamal, which is the, the language that only one group could be guaranteed self-determination in a country where, you know, again, looking at uh, uh, everything between the Mediterranean and the Jordan River, we're talking about the majority population being Palestinian, and that a large segment of that population now legally has been told, you have no right under our laws for self-determination. What kind of world exists where a country is allowed to do that? Well, uh, apparently it exists in Israel uh, in, in full force. It existed before, but now it has been codified into a law. It's the law of the land. And, and basically at the same time Israel, I mean, the, the, the funny thing that when you had uh, Apartheid in South Africa, even though South Africa was in denial uh, about its apartheid conditions, it never called itself a democracy. You know, uh, you can look through the whole history of South Africa and they've tried the same thing to muzzle the media, to, to, to uh, arrest activists, to prevent journalists and so forth. But they, it never went on, in, into, you know, on the stage in the international uh, community and bragged about, about it being a democracy. Israel brags, goes around with its surrogates right. in, in right. the United States, in the U.S. Congress, at the United Nations, and brags about it being a democracy, right? But, but wait a minute. They, they go further, Jamal, and you know that. They say the only democ democracy, quote, in the Middle East, which is not true to begin with, but they, they parrot it even at a much more... Um, disingenuous level by saying that, you know, part of the narrative that they tried to promote is that this little tiny island of democracy in a sea of despots, that they have said that for decades now, and they get away with it. They get away with saying it. And the other thing that you should know, I mean, is that this vote by the Knesset has not made any representation in the mainstream media here. It has not been on any of the major news networks. It has not made, it, it made the New York Times, but if you look at the title in the New York Times, the title softened the description of what was happening significantly. So it's basically been buried 
under an avalanche of uh, the obvious other news that is going on right now with uh, Trump's uh, Helsinki trip. So this, this, this kind of codification of a party is not making its way into the consciousness of, of anybody here in the United States. And I wonder, has it been covered? I mean, you're, you've, been, you've been kind of uh, watching the media uh, in, in Greece right now and in Europe and uh, in the Middle East and even in the Israeli press. It's obviously getting a lot more press. It's gotten nothing here. It's getting more coverage, of course, in the Israeli press. Than, than, than the coverage in the United States. It's, it's hardly uh, getting any coverage in the United States. If anything, it's been uh, uh, watered down and whitewashed, like using you know, controversial law instead of saying, well, basically, they've codified apartheid. Let me say something also just that this thing has been four years in the making. It's not new. Israel and the Israeli government has been working on this for the past four years. So the, the legislation was packaged as a basic law, right? And it joined a dozen other, other laws, basically. They've been, add, you know, they've been changing it, um, uh, modifying it, editing it, and so forth. For, so it's been in the making for four years and basically just yesterday they've voted to to adopt it and it's, it's, it's so it has not it's not it, it's not a total surprise maybe maybe people were hoping or some people were hoping that it was never going going to pass uh, through the Knesset but it did but we know but we know why it's passed i mean the political context of having trump in the white house and Jared Kushner being the being the leader of the peace efforts, you know, in the region, is it a surprise to anybody that uh, President Trump is giving cover to the Israelis to promote this codified version of apartheid? I mean, that's really why, because prior to Trump, there was heavy pushback from the Obama administration, despite all the other unfortunate things that the Obama administration did in relation to settlements and things like that. Now there's no pushback whatsoever from, uh, from, from the Trump administration, from the State Department here. There's, abs there's radio silence in terms of any pressure. So of course it's going to happen now, right? Yeah, I mean, it is the perfect storm. Everything is connected. The moving of the U.S. Embassy into Jerusalem, the recognition of Jerusalem basically by the United States as the capital of Israel, uh, the, of course, the election of Donald Trump, uh, the appointment of Jared Kushner as the envoy to the entire Middle East. This is all connected to, 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 to just basically create the perfect storm for the Knesset. Maybe, at, at, like as I said, they've been working on it for four years and now they went into a full push or a full blitz to have it adopted, and they did. They've managed to succeed. You've asked me about the European reaction. Of course, it's covered in Europe uh, quite a bit. Uh, I've been reading uh, through different uh, media outlets. And of course, the European Union on Thursday, today is Thursday, Thursday evening here, you, you're Thursday day in, the, in San Francisco. They've issued a statement saying that uh, that they were concerned about this law, but that's that's concern. I mean, concern about this law 
which declares basically that only Jews have the right of uh, self-determination, right? If you look at it, and okay. and and so that's that's the maybe the only statement that I've seen issued, you know, from a major power, which is the European do, do, Union. Do you think there's there's blowback from? and nervousness on the part of the EU to say anything stronger because of the uh, nature of the latest uh, EU-American summit, which, is a which we may not have time to cover today, which was a complete humiliation of Europe by Donald Trump, a complete humiliation of Theresa May and the UK, and a complete rejection, some people would say, of of the importance of NATO and Europe. So does this mean, is this part of the analysis that the Europeans are less likely to come out with strong views that are different from the Trump administration? Because concern seems pretty weak to me. It is very weak. I think, I think uh, basically, like you said before, they've uh, tr uh, you know, picked a timing when the entire world, well, if, if, if we want to backtrack a little bit, just a few days ago, the entire world, or especially in Europe and in the Middle East and, and many other countries, were focused on, on the uh, World Cup. They were busy watching the World right. Cup, and just right. a few days ago, as you know, France war, uh, won the World Cup. And then you have the uh, Putin-Trump love fest and so so all all eyes that uh, all eyes were on that bromance or i call it a love fest really yeah and and with all that distraction and the outcome of of this uh, meeting between the two great powers i don't think anyone was prepared to take any kind of uh, action uh, and I believe also many of those countries, uh, maybe even, even including Israelis themselves, many of the uh, what's remain what's remain remained of the leftists in Israel, they were taken by surprise because they thought maybe it, it was going to get postponed or defeated, and and so so no one had a, an action plan or. An answer, except for Palestinians and 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 or Palestinian Palestinian Knesset member uh, members who were outraged. Other than that, you don't have a major outrage. I mean, this is ridiculous that we are in the 21st century. We're in the 21st century, and in fact, yes. Uh, when was it? Yesterday, the world has celebrated the the 100th uh, anniversary of, uh, you know, Nelson, you know Mandela. Nelson Mandela. He would have turned 100 years, and so that kind of reminds you of apartheid in South Africa, but it also reminds you about the, you know, getting rid of apartheid in South Africa, well, and then you have it reincarnated now in Israel on the anniversary of Nelson Mandela. I think that's a really important point, Jamal, because what we're seeing now, and in, in part it is fomented and highlighted and supported by Trump, Trump's political agenda and rhetoric, 
is a reemergence of white nationalism, white supremacy, uh, and political, you know, nationalistic tendencies, not just in the United States and not just uh, in among the Israelis, but we're seeing it in parts of Europe. Uh, also, is that there is this kind of promotion, uh, enhancement, uh, uh, whatever word you want to use, support of these white supremacy, white nationalist ideologies and behaviors. I mean, since you have been traveling, there have been no less than five or six, you know, incidences where white Americans have called 911, Jamal, because an African American has either been in a store, in a pool, or in some other public space with, you know, white people getting very nervous and not, and calling 911. And, and, that, and another African-American shot and killed in Chicago. And, and all of these things are, are occurring at the same time. So on the one hand, we celebrate you know, the 100th uh, year of uh, Nelson Mandela, his birth. And yet at the same time, we're, in, we're facing uh, a reemergence of these white nationalist, white supremacy tendencies here and in Europe. You're, you're absolutely right, uh, Jess. Uh, it's all, you know, again, it's all connected. It's all connected. There is a whole global movement. Uh, of course, we've seen it in the United States since the election of Donald Trump. It was preceded, preceded by all these different uh, governments in different European countries uh, moving further and further to the right. There is an anti-immigrant sentiment. There is a, there is a racist attitude uh, gripping many of, of the countries. And therefore, Israel can slip, you know, under the wire with this new law and yes. basically yes. Uh, defines itself as an exclusively Jewish state, basically, when you have... Uh, Whatever, uh, however you look at it, whether you want to look at what what is termed as proper Israel, meaning the Israel before 1967 borders, it's you, you have more than 20 percent of its population who is not uh, Jewish. If you talk about the West Bank and Gaza, actually now the majority are non-Jews. So the land between the uh, the Mediterranean and and the Jordan River. Uh, the vast majority who inhabited there are non-Jews, and yet they are not technically, they are not part of the state. Uh, Arabic is no longer an official language. I mean, everything, everything, you know, what they're saying and what they're claiming, uh, it's basically missing, make, making, um, for one thing, uh, Palestinians with Israeli citizenship as second-class citizens, uh, and they have been for many years. The only difference now is that uh, they have an inferior status because justified on ethnic and religious grounds and is enshrined in law. That's the difference. Um, just for our listeners who may be joining us a little bit late, uh, this is Arab Talk on KPOO in San Francisco. We're at 89.5 FM. We're broadcasting live on uh, Facebook Live, Jamal Dejani 2. That's Facebook Live. We're also streaming on kpoo.com. And if you joined us a little late, we're talking about the codification and a law that was passed by the Israeli Knesset 
saying that only Jews were entitled to self-determination and that Arabic was no longer going to be considered uh, an official language. So, Jamal, does that mean that all the signage that, yes. that uh, all the signage in Israel now has to change? Because if you travel to the Israeli uh, territory, uh, the signs are in Hebrew, Arabic, and English. So that means the hundreds of thousands of signs, are, are they going to change them now to English and Hebrew only? Well, I don't know if they're going to change them now, but they are no longer obligated to make new signs with uh, in Hebrew and Arabic and, and English. They actually are not obligated to have them in English. They have them in English, you know, for the uh, tourists and so forth. But uh, they were obligated to have them in Arabic and, and, uh, and Hebrew. And now um, I don't know if they're going to run around and remove the old signs, but they are no longer uh, obligated to do so because Arabic is no longer, they have demoted, is no longer an official language. It has been demoted, uh, by the way, you know, that uh, to a, a, a language uh, that that's important or something. I don't know right. what the, the language they've used to define it as, but it's definitely not uh, one of the uh, official languages. So I, I know, for example, that the Arab bloc uh, members of the Knesset, those are Palestinians who have uh, run for the Knesset and are members of the Knesset. Uh, they, they got up, they walked out, they boycotted. They issued a very strong, compelling analysis. So I wondered if you could tell us, have, has anything come from the Palestinian Authority? Has anything come from other Arab leaders? Have we heard anything from the Gulf? What has the reaction been to this uh, in the Arab press? Well, I mean, the strongest reaction, uh, and uh, it was also reported on TV, I mean, you could see it on TV, uh, as, you've, as you've mentioned, uh, uh, Arab, Arab uh, representatives or Knesset members, they've shredded the bill, uh, they've shouted at uh, Netanyahu, they've called him a racist, they walked out. This was basically the biggest, I would say, outrage that was visible. And, and really, if it wasn't for the Israeli media, the rest of the world would not have known about it. So it was reported through the Israeli media. And uh, the Palestinian Authority issued a condemnation, but uh, let's be realistic. What good is that, Jess? We know the Palestinian Authority has no authority. It has no authority in controlling over the land. It occupies the uh, Mahmoud Abbas. Uh, the president himself cannot travel without uh, permission outside the country without Israeli permission. Uh, they have no control over Area C, which is the largest block where all the settlers basically live, 700,000 uh, and more. They've lost all control over Gaza. Uh, they've been entangled between, uh, you know, issues between Fatah and Hamas now for so many years. So let's be, let's be frank, you know, Israel has chosen the right moment because it has not only the support of the United States and many countries around the world, or at least it thinks, but also 
because of the weakness of the Palestinian Authority and the weakness of the Arab world and all the not so secret meetings that uh, meetings that have been happening between Israeli officials and officials from Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states and so forth. So obviously they they they've calculated it right. They know that they weren't going to uh, face a lot of pushback. So it's now it's really left to the people. That's well. What 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 I'm curious about Jamal is that if we go back to apartheid South Africa and we looked at the universal condemnation of apartheid South Africa and as you said who didn't even claim to be a, doc, uh, a democracy the only two countries more or less that never went on to condemn apartheid South Africa until the bitter end was the United States and Israel how ironic is it on the hundredth anniversary of the birth of Nelson Mandela, the champion of justice, that the Israeli Knesset passes a law uh, codifying apartheid and selectively uh, saying that one group of people should be privileged over another for such a basic human right as the right to self-determination. It, it is very ironic. <laughs> you know, it cannot be more ironic. It's bewildering, really, in the 21st century. It is and, the, and it, it, the it is and I guess Saudi Arabia has not come down the the crown prince hasn't said anything yet no 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 I mean it, it, look it, this has been planned uh, there has been uh, backdoor agreements uh, there there have been winks and nods I, I can't find the terminologies to describe this did not happen in a vacuum. If Israel did not know or did not have had guarantees that uh, that this law is going to pass and they are going just to have few countries complaining, etc., and the Palestinians are left on their own, uh, they would not have taken uh, the opportunity to pass this law now, because as I mentioned before, this has been in the making for four years. It's the perfect storm. You got Donald Trump. You got uh, the move of the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem. You got backdoor channels and not so secret meetings between Israeli officials and uh, uh, movers and shakers in the Arab world, meaning the people who have oil and money without naming the countries that's uh, and so they know that the reaction is going to be very weak and they've taken the opportunity to pass this terrible terrible really law and it passed it's it's so, it's so we, we we will see where the world stands once it has time to catch its breath and see whether or not we're in a world now globally where apartheid can be uh, not just codified, Jamal, but supported uh, by the, you know, I, I'm hesitant to say this, but I'll say it, you know, the major superpowers, because it's, it's not as if any of the other major uh, industrial democratic powers anywhere, I mean, notwithstanding the weak comment from the EU, I haven't heard anybody else condemning this either. Where are we now in the world such that 
There is a chilling silence in the face of such overwhelming racism and apartheid. You're absolutely right, Jess. And just a quick reminder to our listeners, uh, this is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. And for our followers on Facebook Live, and the reason you only see me but you don't see Jess is, is because I am now in uh, in Greece and just is in San Francisco so we're doing uh, we're, we're having a Skype conversation but we only have one camera and the one camera is on me uh, only and you you are hearing we're, that's fine I mean I think it's working out really well and you're hearing it's the fun. voice of Jess so and you're hearing the voice of Jamal so we have you know the Arab talk with Jess and Jamal continues despite whatever uh, Uh, geographic or technical issues they may have. But Jamal, I want to spend some time talking about the other big news from Palestine because, you know, the vote to codify apartheid by the government of Israel is one thing. But in the last week, there has been a rather massive military attack by the Israeli military in Gaza. And in fact, uh, over the last week, Israeli warplanes launched 91 missiles in the Gaza Strip There were 77 incursions by the Israeli military into Gaza. Two Palestinian children were killed. 27 others, including two additional children, were wounded. Many civilian facilities sustained material damage. Ten Palestinian civilians, including four children and a journalist, were wounded. Um, And this hasn't received any attention in the media either. This was the largest military attack on the civilian population in Gaza since the war of 2014, Jamal. This is dramatic, and um, we didn't hear anything about it. No, no, I mean, and, and, and Gaza has been basically on the back burner, uh, literally and figuratively, for many months, if not years, uh, Israel can do whatever it wants to do in Gaza, and no one would uh, raise a finger. Uh, They are now, uh, since uh, the March of Return, they have killed over uh, 100 people uh, and injured thousands of uh, others. Uh, uh, The Israeli officials are claiming now they are... uh, going after, imagine, you know, this is the country, a country with more than 200 nuclear weapons, uh, what is it, the strongest, uh, fourth strongest air force in the world, and now they are basically targeting balloons and uh, kites, and, and that's the reason, that's the reason, uh, you know, why they're going after uh, now and bombing Gaza, they, they're, they're claiming that uh, these kites are carrying fire bombs uh, over the uh, border fence. Uh, of course, Israel doesn't have a border with Gaza. It makes its own border as it goes along. And they claim that these fires have, or hundreds of these fires, have burned uh, about 3,000 hectares, and therefore this is why they're justifying the bombing. So. Jamal, you know, we're, we're, we've got about 10 or so minutes left, and I wanted to make sure as long as we, you're, you're, you're in Greece right now, I am kind of curious, because I want to switch it up just a little bit in the time that we have. 
You know, Greece has gone through a very interesting transformation in the last number of years, economically, uh, obviously, with, with, with all of the kind of trials and tribulations of the economic uh, meltdown and attempt to resurrect its economy. It's been very difficult for, for Greece right now, not to mention the hundreds of thousands of uh, Syrian and African refugees that have tried to um, save themselves, you know, especially Syrian refugees coming into Greece. I am just curious about your assessment in talking to people in Greece about their perception of what the heck is happening politically in the United States. Uh, do people talk about it that much? Do, what's their take on this? Well, I mean, it's the same thing as, as everywhere else. Uh, if you talk about politically, I think this goes on not from my trip now, but other countries uh, since the election of uh, Trump. Uh, I think people are taken aback. They're surprised. Uh, you, you saw the reception. Everyone saw the reception uh, Trump received in, in the UK, right? The thousands and yes. thousands of people demonstrating and the, and the big balloon they, they had for him. Everyone uh, has been watching this. In Greece, of course, they have their own issues. As you mentioned, the economy, and it's, it's very surprising since uh, it's a very touristic country. In fact, this year they had the, the record-breaking numbers of tourists. Um, oh, really? Yeah, record-breaking number that they were at one point complaining that this was going to affect the environment and the uh, infrastructure. Uh, but they're still uh, uh, suffering uh, financially. And at the same time, they have been one of the most hospitable countries for the refugees. And this is really important. And I'm talking hospitable in a way, not just from the government uh, allowing them to come in, but also from the people. You don't see the wave of hatred that uh, we've seen in other countries targeting the refugees. Right. They're very hospitable, hospitable, they've been welcoming them, and the country has very, very little resources. Uh, I was the other day um, in a small town in Crete, and there were signs uh, on, on the walls, uh, graffitied, saying, uh, refugees are welcome, you know, just to give you, a, to give you an example. And you can find hundreds of stories where people have welcomed the refugees in their homes. But at the end of the day, the refugees themselves themselves realize that they have no future in Greece because right. Greece right. has a very high unemployment. They can barely support their own uh, people and, and the economy just uh, you know, doesn't help them. So basically, Greece is, is a passing through country for the refugees. And, and, and this is, and they complain, if anything, they complain about the smugglers. They complain about Turkey, where yes. you get a lot of the smugglers and they just dump them, basically. They take them and they allow them to, to venture in the Mediterranean. Right. With with the, in 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 boats that are not seaworthy, you know. Right. And right. and 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 as as many uh, of us know, uh, thousands have uh, drowned in the Mediterranean Sea, but they push them towards Greece, and Greece they receive them, 
they give them temporary housing and shelter. And then these refugees, really, they want to make it up north. They want to make it to, uh, to Germany. They want to make it to countries where they can find, where they can seek asylum and, and they can uh, find employment. Well, even with all of the economic difficulties, what we hear consistently um, uh, among refugee communities, NGOs, is that Greece still appears to be the only European country uh, that has opened its arms and its hearts to refu- you know, to, to refugees, and they continue to do so. A number of NGOs that I've spoken with and actually have consulted with Jamal speak about the nonstop influx of refugees, wash, you know, kind of literally washing ashore from, you know, weeks of being, you know, you know, on the sea and barely making it to the sea, to the shores of uh, Greece or one of the islands. And then people still welcome them with open hearts. It's... It's and, truly, and, uh, and and there is a re- and there is a reason for this. Just besides their good nature, which which uh, you know speaks volume, uh, the Greeks themselves uh, have a history of being refugees, as you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you know, there were major uh, displacement of Greeks from what used to be the Ottoman Empire, and and uh, they found themselves uh, homeless and as refugees. Some of them made it back to the country, and the country had to scramble and resettle them. But a large number of those Greeks uh, settled in. Arab countries in Syria, in Lebanon, and in Palestine. So they understand the concept of being a refugee themselves. They have suffered from from being a refugee. So that's, I think, that this plays a major role in their attitude. And and I'm talking, if not them, of course, they've heard the stories from their uh, grandparents about their history. And so the history of refugees and, and, and being homeless and, and, and stateless uh, resonates with the Greek population. And unfortunately, there's no end in sight, Jamal, even with whatever uh, show was put on by the uh, Trump-Putin um, circus in uh, Helsinki. The situation in Syria is is not going to resolve itself quickly. The economic despair that Africans feel is not going to change quickly. And unfortunately, this mass transfer of human beings, uh, you know, are, are, it will continue. And it looks like Greece will be one of the only places where people are going to still feel welcome for the foreseeable future. It is. I mean, it is. And, and people, when they cross the Mediterranean, I mean, you have hundreds of, I don't know the number of Greek isles, maybe in the thousand, more than a thousand. They find themselves basically landing on one of those islands. And no one has been turned back. You know, in fact, the uh, uh, Greek Navy and Coast Guard usually rescue Many of uh, those who make it, and the and the people who help them are just the average citizens. 
So Jamal, in the few minutes left, I do have um, I do have something that I want to kind of put on the table. It has to do with domestic politics. It's of course related to Palestine. It's something that we touched on a little bit ago, but it's something that we're going to be following for the next number of years because it has such dramatic uh, implications for the question of Palestine. We spoke before about the primary win of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She's the young 20-something social democrat who claims to be a social, you know, a democratic socialist who uh, beat a a long-standing democratic uh, uh, representative, Joe Crowley, last month. To make a very long story short, she gave an interview about what's happening in Palestine and used words like occupation of Palestine, settlements, things like that. And of course the media in New York and even the national media, even though they don't pick up anything else, has gone crazy about this and have been attacking her viciously. Long story short, there's all these articles coming out now uh, saying that the Democratic Party is going to face a reckoning in 2018 in November and beyond because uh, uh, Alexandria represents and is, you know, her view is consistent with large numbers of more progressives in the Democratic Party, which is the majority in the Democratic Party right now, and they clearly support Palestinian self-determination and, and, and rights for Palestinians that are against the occupation of Palestine. So the Democratic Party, some people are predicting, based on their cool reception, the party elite have been very cool about Alexandria, and there's talk about Representative Crowley actually running on a write-in ballot to maybe defeat her in November. It looks like, Jamal, we are the Democratic Party is facing this question yet again, as they did in 2016 at the Democratic National Convention, about where do they stand on Palestine. We know that the grassroots uh, Democratic Party is solidly behind Palestine, but the elites, the old-timers, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, and so forth, have been staunch supporters of Israel. We're, we're headed for some interesting times come November. Well, uh, I think you're, you're right. And, and in, in her case, of course, uh, what happened, it's a living proof that you can win a district without relying on the money from APAC, I think, and, and other uh, interest groups. And if this keeps changing and we're seeing now different areas, I, I think there is also uh, another candidate in Michigan, right? Right. And, right. and other, other uh, younger candidates, progressive candidates. And if, if the trend continues, then we will have a major change. But it's not going to come easy because the establishment, they, they are going to pour millions of dollars trying to end or put an end to this phenomenon. Hopefully they will lose. But the tide is shifting because you have a new generation. And we know from uh, statistics and we know from polls, there is a shift of attitude on college campuses, jazz people under the age of 25, that's right. and that's why the Sheldon Adelsons and, and Haim Sabans and others are pouring millions of dollars to, to silence these students 
and which is, by the way, connected to what we've been talking about. Right. Uh, that's the other part of the campaign of what Israel is doing, is trying to also uh, codify the criticism of Israel right here in the United States, making it, make it illegal. You know, imagine, they basically want to shred the First Amendment in the United exactly. States, uh, and, and that's not going to succeed. So here's my statement to the Democratic elite. If you had a choice to take back the House and the presidency and support Palestinian self-determination or let Donald Trump win for another four years and support white supremacy and support Israel, which way are you going to go? Frankly, I don't have confidence in the Democratic elite, Jamal. So I'm, I'm not as confident, even though the tide is turning, unfortunately, the elites in the Democratic Party are as supportive of apartheid Israel, if not more than the Republicans. And on that note, we want to thank you all. Um, we're happy to continue to bring you Arab Talk despite geographic and technical issues. <laughs> We've been speaking with Arab Talk co-host Jamal Dejani live from Greece. And uh, you can find our podcasts on uh, SoundCloud at Arab Talk. You can follow us on uh, Facebook at Jamal Dejani 2, on Twitter at Arab Talk, and also obviously at kpo.com. Jamal, thanks so much. I know it's late. We appreciate you staying up and, uh, you know, co-hosting the show again. I'm sure we'll be speaking with you next week. We'll speak next week. Thank you.